0: Hello, hello and welcome back to Marlin's Corner, uh, the podcast that's a review podcast, and I try to give you a review of a TV or a movie uh, in under 30 minutes. That is my goal. That is my criteria, and I'll try to give it to you uh, today where we're going to be talking about a spooky October movie on Netflix, No One Gets Out Alive. Uh, just know that for this and further podcasts moving forward, we're going to try to give you the... Uh, spoiler-free portion of it in the beginning, and then we'll segue into spoilers towards the tail end, and I will warn you so you can have a chance to listen to the podcast, stop it, and then come back and wrap it up and let me know what you think. So for today, like I said, we are talking about No One Gets Out Alive. Uh, This is based on a novel by the author Adam Neville. Now, Adam has a wild uh, and very creepy imagination. Uh, a lot of his books also pull a lot of mysticism. They pull a, a, a lot of lore uh, into them. Which otherwise makes them even more fantastical in the way that he chooses to describe them. Uh, now again, Netflix is always looking to find partnerships. Um, we've seen that with the Millerverse, uh, as, as well as they're dipping into anime. So I'm definitely hoping that they're looking for good horror content. Uh, Adam is someone they tap into because he has some amazing books to uh, make movies out of. Uh, now, the book No One Gets Out Alive is only 320 pages. So you can definitely knock that book out in a day and get through it. Um, I also was very surprised by how much they lengthened a lot of what was going on in the book because, of course, it had to fit an hour and 25 minutes. Uh, now, as I told you before, Adam Neville is an author. He has some amazing books that you can check out. I'm give you some recommendations right now. He has a book called The Reddening that is just amazing. It's a book called Apartment 16 uh, that is also really good. And he has a book called The Ritual uh, that has... Uh, just an amazing uh, ending. Uh, so if you truly want to step into some really amazing, fantastical uh, horror and just kind of go for a creepy ride, definitely check out those books uh, and let me know what you think. I definitely am a big fan. I I enjoy reading books that kind of sh- shivers up my spine. I remember reading Mothman as a kid in middle school. So I'm definitely looking out for any and all books that uh, kind of cause you to like think twice when you hear a little sound at night in the middle of your sleep so just to that moving forward. Uh, now, the movie adaptation is directed by Santiago uh, Magini, and he has an extensive background in horror. Uh, he's done a lot of shorts. He's produced things um, like Milk and Regret, both of which uh, are creepy and unsettling. Uh, so this definitely feels in the realm of him spearheading this and leading us down this really... Um, chilling adventure with Knowing It's Not Alive, where things get wild uh, as far as outside of the movie is the writers. So the writers who are working on the screenplay are John Croker and Fernanda Koppel. Now, John Croker, uh, no disrespect to him and what he happens to bring to it. It's just really interesting when you look at what he's known for writing, uh, the things that pop up are... Paddington 2, High in the Clouds, and American Animals. So, first out of those things is Paddington 2. Now, I'm sure that just because you can write a lovely child movie doesn't mean that you can't write a horror film it's just very shocking to see that that's like the first thing this man is known for is um one of Rotten Tomatoes almost 100% scored movies about a bear who likes marmalade and wears a raincoat and hat so that was very shocking uh and then you go over and you check out Fernanda Koppel and you know she also has some things in her belt she has uh how to go with murder Which is not a a scary thing. She also has Queen of the South, which is again not a scary thing. Uh, But hey, just because you don't write scary things doesn't mean anything, you know, doesn't mean that you can't write scary content. It's just very surprising to see that the director has, you know, his hand in the horror genre and his two writers coming on or writing kid shows or. TV dramas. So it's very interesting to see, uh, that, that connect. And you can definitely see that they were definitely were needed. Again, this book is only at 320 pages. So my guess is that they needed someone to kind of insert some additional, uh, situations, some additional conversations, some additional, uh, uh, commentary on, on life within this to make it an hour and 25 minutes. All in all, uh, I don't really have anything bad to say about it. Uh, starting off with you know the, the the non-spoilers, the things that you'll definitely notice uh, is that this film surrounds um, the story of an individual woman who is named uh, Ambar, Who's played by Christina Roldo, and she's fantastic. Uh, The film does a great job of putting us in her shoes. Uh, She's uh, an immigrant to America, uh, and she's, you know, looking for for work. And it really kind of gives us the full spectrum of what it's like to be uh, an immigrant in America, which if you didn't know, and and this is your first time knowing, surprise, surprise, I guess. Um, She has family in America. They're very distant though. She doesn't really know them that much. But she's otherwise alone. And I think that's what they really play up in this film, is that she's a woman who's alone in a country that she hasn't really been to. Uh, And they do a great job of painting it. They do a great job of having her be alone, walking the streets alone at night, um, looking for work, dealing uh, with individuals who are, of course, paying her under the table in cash, but also knowing that they can fire her whenever they want to if she's not working hard enough or not giving uh, them what they want or or not even just giving uh, uh, nice and cordial feedback when she's working for them. They really kind of give us that example of what it's like to be a migrant worker, uh, and that kind of is the real-world horror that they uh, put on display for you all. And they even show us these other women that she comes into um, interactions with in this home she goes to. They are also all women who are immigrants. And I think that really adds to the weight of this film is that uh, if something bad happens to you uh, and you're an, and, and you are an immigrant to this country, you don't really have a paper trail, if something bad happens to you, who do you go to? How does the gay reported? Does anyone care? Uh, and they do an amazing job of really heightening that up for you that she has nowhere to go, that she is worried about being arrested more so than dealing with the scariness that goes on in the house that she's in right now. And it does an amazing job of really kind of giving us the scary supernatural, then also giving us the real world scariness as well. Um, we also get uh the uh examination of guilt and uh, abandonment and how that can, of course, manifest uh, demons within ourselves, how our own minds can create uh, these scenarios that frighten and scare us. uh, and it's wonderful. We get a chance to see multiple uh, iterations of a dream happening over and over again, each time becoming more and more creepy. And we're left thinking, is it creepy because of her location or is it creepy because she keeps thinking about it and because she feels more and more guilty for having uh, left and abandoned someone that she truly cared about? And you know, We definitely can, at the end of the film, have our own individual uh, interpretations of it, but it's just great to put it out there in a way that gives the viewer a chance to fully dissect, is that all her, or is it part uh the supernatural aspect of it as well? And ultimately, we also get at the very end of it, how, of course, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and how someone who definitely has an altruistic mindset uh, can ultimately become the villain if given enough power are given enough sway to do so. We get that amazing chance to see that. Uh, and what's really interesting about this film is that critics are, have given it 67%, but looking at the audience score, it has around 40%, which is very surprising. Um, it seems like critics definitely like this film, whereas the audience are maybe not feeling it as much. Uh, I definitely think it's a fun and enjoyable film to watch. And if you haven't checked it out, definitely do so uh, because I think it's a really uh, it's well shot, well-produced and it's entertaining. Uh, It's just really creepy in all the right ways. And when you get that big moment at the very end, it just reminds you that this author, this is his realm. He has a Guillermo del Toro kind of vibe to him. So know that going in, there's a definite Guillermo del Toro ending where you're like, oh, wow, that's amazing that they decided to go this way with this. Uh, and it's just fantastic. You should check it out. It's beautiful. Um, I'm going to just kind of stop there for the non-spoiler section of it. Just know that, again, it's an immigrant in search of the American dream uh, who's forced to take a home in a boarding house, uh, but finds herself in a nightmare that she cannot escape. And that's more or less your uh, non-spoiler review. So if you ever want to stop now and come back and wrap it up, definitely do so at this point Point in time but please just know that uh, you have a chance so, so you have a chance to do so so do that now take a moment and uh, you know we'll come back and talk about it again in a few in a few moments alrighty welcome back uh, this is a continuation of our review of knowing inside a lot this is of course the spoiler section of it all so let's get it. Into it. Uh Ambar is played amazingly well. We get so much from Christina Rodolo, and it's just fantastic. Uh the level of vulnerability she gives, uh, as well as the naivete. Hey, we see her come in and just really trust. Everyone, she trusts, uh, this distant family, this, this, this cousin that she has in America. Uh, she trusts that he's going to help her get this job. Uh, and that all she needs to do is just, you know, get this green car because her cousin Beto, he's got it. And she, Trusts uh, her coworker Kinsey to get her this green card that has this specific state in mind, Texas, because that's something she told her cousins that. Oh, I'm, oh, uh, I'm, I'm from Texas, so she just doesn't want to. Really tell everyone the truth because she just wants to solve it all on her own, and she does so as being so trustworthy. Uh, and so we get a chance to see uh, another fellow immigrant uh, kind of screw her over. We see Kenzie tell her that she can get her this green card, uh, and she just asks for money. And then then Ambar gives her that money, and then of course Kenzie quits the next day and is gone, which means she's out of all that money, and she has her job interview where she needs her ID and. A few days and she doesn't have it, Uh, and that's her first, you know, initial kind of like this is, like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm so afraid. I had this this dream that I was going to achieve, that I was going to get. I had I was going to go to night school. You kind of watch her world crumble around her uh, and you just truly feel kind of like sick and kind of sad that, oh, man, she got taken advantage of and I wish that she had to have given this, this woman all of her money and trust her so much when she didn't know her. I wish she had told her cousin, hey, I don't actually have an ID. Maybe you could have helped her, but because she chose to do it this way it just opened up so many more dark doors for her um when she finally gets to this boarding house uh, and she decides to 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 live there to be to be a part of that community um we get our first introduction to red the owner uh, of the establishment and red of course is very shifty out the gate you know red knows that she's an immigrant, asks for money for that first month's rent immediately. Um, we see that he's just not to be trusted and, you know, I mean, even when she when he when he tells her that, oh, like, this is a house mostly for women and she sees another guy and goes, oh, that, that's just my brother, it's fine. Uh, it's just, there's so many smaller red flags. It's just a lot. And what this movie does an, amazingly, does an amazing job of is kind of giving us this, um, warm up, this, 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 this kind of, uh, staggered, uh, uh, scares as they build up. You know, we first see the beginning with Simona as she's calling and talking to someone. And she also, again, has guilt about leaving. There's a lot of guilt in this house of individuals who have left their country and uh, have uh, some reason to to feel guilty that's lingering within them. So we see someone on the phone talking about her father before she's taken. Um, we also see these creatures or these specters with these white eyes just kind of in the background, uh, just kind of always watching, always observing. I think one of the most amazing scenes we see in the film uh, is when uh, Amon watches these two ghosts Go at it. She watches the ghost of Mary and another, uh, immigrant woman just kind of have this fight and she watches her room get kind of tore up by these two spirits, uh, on their way out. And it's just fantastic. Uh, it's just designed so well. It's shot so well. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's amazing. I do think it was great for them to not give us too much information, uh, on, uh, Red and his brother. Um, because in the beginning of the film, we see, uh, this, like real old-timey footage of someone going to either Mexico or South America and pulling up this stone box. Uh, And then, of course, we see later on that Red has, you know, some Aztec uh, artifacts in his office. Uh, When Ambar goes in there, she, of course, finds that um, his father – uh, and what looks like his mother were the first two to find this box or the first two to discover it. And then with reds further explanation of everything that this box spoke to him, that it made him do bad things. We kind of get uh, that this box has a way of corrupting people, of changing them. We don't get too much on what the father did because ultimately um the father's out of the picture, but what we do know is that from red is that Becker um, was a sick child, uh, and then because he chose to speak to this box, sorry, this box chose to speak to him, uh, he started to. Gain some powers. We don't get too much information on what these powers were. Um, we know that they were healing in nature and that he felt better. Uh, and then because of that, he knew that he had to sacrifice something. And so we kind of get this sacrificial aspect to the story. We even get those in the paintings that Ambar finds of these um, headless uh figures, who are in these, in these paintings that she happens to see, and we can't really connect what's going on with them, but we do that that there's a sacrifice uh, portion that's a part of this ritual that they keep talking about. Uh, and then we know that Becker and his mom, Mary, were Taking these immigrant women, because, like I said before, um, we see them taking advantage of the most vulnerable. Not only are they women, but they're women who have immigrated to this country that have no one else that are seeking shelter in this place uh, because the rent, you know, it might be cheap, but you know they have nowhere else to go and they're kind of trapped there. And so we see a bunch of these kind of ghosts in the house. And at some point, I was wondering, like. How is it that no one knows they're there? And then you kind of have that really sad moment of realization that no one knows they're there because no one happens to truly keep tabs on these immigrant women. So they can show up in a country, work for cash, have no ID, and then disappear. And unless they have someone there to advocate for them, their disappearance isn't gonna raise any red flags. And so we are left with that truly sad and sickening thought that these multiple of women who are ghosts, who are specters, have gone missing and have been murdered in this house. And no one's done anything about it. No one has cared. uh, and we see Ambar kind of come to the realization slowly when she first shows up and she meets Freya, who happens to also be a part of the house, and then Freya's gone. And then when she asks about Freya, all she saw is that Freya moved out. She has no way of following up on that. She and Freya are running in the same circles. There's no uh, way she can check if this establishment of this, this boarding house is up to code because if the, because if you think about it, the more oversight there is for this location, the less likely they would cater to her and specifically Immigrant women who are looking for a place to stay without being ID, without being deported. So they're look. so both parties are looking the other way. And unfortunately, one of them still has the power. And that, of course, is Red, who owns the establishment because he knows at the end of the day, are they going to tell on him? Probably not because they need somewhere to stay or they'll get deported. Um, we, that's done beautifully it's, it's designed in a way it's very political it's very in your face about it but it also i think adds to the horror of it of like man they really just can't go running to the police they can't like there's a, a beautiful scene where she's in a diner and a police officer walks in and you're thinking to yourself maybe you should go tell them that this that there's something happening at this house and something scary is going down but instead she tries to make herself seem smaller so the police officer can't see her. So you're truly in a situation where you can't get help, where you just have to try to get away. And the one thing that lures Ambar back once you think she's going to get away is the fact that she calls Red and wants to know if she can move out. They have this big back and forth about her deposit and her deposit is kind of held over her head because she needs it's the last bit of money that she has so when she finally gets out of the house and red tells her, "Hey, I'll give you your money, but you got to come back to the house." She's left with a really difficult situation. Does she say, "Hey, never mind, I'm not going to get this money. I'm going to try to ask my cousin Beto to look out for me. I'm broke. I have no ID. Is it worth putting him at risk to kind of house me?" Or is it better that I go get this money so that I can at least pay someone back or not be too far in debt? And so she decides to, like, get this money. Like, as a viewer, every bone in my body was like, just give it up, girl. Don't go back. But, of course, I am not in her situation. You know, I'm not someone who, you know, is in need of this money to potentially pay for um, the process of, of of becoming a citizen to pay for anything. This is all the money she happens to have. So in her mind, this is it. Like I got to get this money back, even if it means going back with this scary man. And so she shows up, she goes back and it's a third act of this film that gives us just an amazing horror filled time like from the minute she goes back to the house to get her paycheck to, to get her her deposit it's just non-stop intensity she shows up she goes to her room red does the reveal of like hey there is no money but i wish you didn't call me or inform us that you were leaving my brother becker is upset now you gotta stay and then becker comes in Forcibly manhandle. It's a really scary scene. He just comes in there uh, and he puts his hand in her mouth and forces her to drink, and you're kind of left like, This is terrifying. This is this is absolutely horrible. And she's powerless as he forces her in that room. The other women come into the room later in the night, and they're all just full of terror and dread because they know that they can't escape. And sure enough, when the the witching hour becomes Becker and the crew rush in there to grab the girls and they get them quote unquote ready for the ceremony. Um, We're left wondering what does that mean? And then that's when the mysticism kicks in. We see Becker come back after killing one of the women and he has scars on his hand and we watch the scars heal themselves as he says he's ready for Ambar. And that's when we realize that yes, there's this ghost side, but there's something else. There's truth to the fact that Becker says that he uh, is, is is getting better, that he is getting healed. We now know that there is a you know bit of validity in what's happening to him. We see him. Of course, we, sorry, before we even get to that, we get to, before that, we get this gruesome scene where uh Ambar has, of course, called her cousin Beto. Beto shows up to help her. He gets to the room outside to help her out, and Becker absolutely beats the hell out of him. It is a dark and gruesome scene, and we see Teeth hitting the ground. We see a pool of blood. Uh, Again, this third act went all out. Now, again, we go fast forward back to the beginning, to to the very end. We see uh, Becker bring Ambar to this um, sacrificial uh, table. He lays her out, and then he walks away, which threw me off for a minute because I'm like, is he not going to do the killing himself? And then we get this wild scene. We we, we, We see the stone box that every girl that has... Lived there, seen in their dreams. We see the box open. We see two disgustingly long hands start coming out of it. And my thought was that, oh, it's gonna like pull her right into the box. No, this is where that Guillermo, the horror moment, comes in. The hands come out of the box and they begin to walk. And we see this. W- wild creature with four, it, it has hands for walking and it has little hands and then it has like a face covered in like skin and it has like a really long body. And walks up to Ambar and with this little baby hands, wraps it around her neck and tries to like bring her head into its mouth that's inside of its little like hooded body to eat it. Uh, and of course, it's in her dream, it's infiltrating her mind, trying to keep her in this dream state uh, in a very Freddy Krueger way of like, I guess they have to be a- asleep in order for them to be eaten. Um, but Ambar. Jolts awake, she tries to escape, and then she has that moment that is in all horror films where apparently everyone is a good person and doesn't want to leave behind somebody, where she decides, oh, I, I, I got to go see this other girl who I just met. Instead of running out of the door, she goes back, grabs a weapon, weapon, uh, kills Red, uh, and Becker comes over there, takes the weapon out of her hand, curb stomps her ankle, he curb stomps her ankle. We get a scene where he just takes his boot and just crushes her ankle as she is knocked to the floor. Uh, and then he throws the other girl from the top of the stairs to the bottom and she's dead. So her rescue attempt completely fails. Uh, <laughs> it completely fails. Um and then she eventually uh ends up finally killing Becker. And excuse me, I'm sorry, she didn't kill Red, she just kind of like incapacitated him. But she full-on kills Red with this uh Aztec axe, chops his head up to little, you know, blunt to like a little bloody pulp, and then she decides, as a bit of payback, to sacrifice Red. To uh, this creature, and upon doing so, you know she's walking out. She's limping. She's badly hurt. You know she closes the door, locks the creature in, um, begins to leave, and as she's leaving, her curb-stomped ankle heals. And what's important to note here is that when Red, when Becker was full of this magic, he had these blood vessels in his face, kind of like throbbing. We see the same blood vessels pop across Ambar's face. And for a moment there, she kind of stands in the doorway and is like basking in the power. And you see it kind of like coursing through her veins. And then you watch her think, you watch um, bar, and you watch this character kind of think about how she feels the lights on her face. Her body feels good. She's breathing. Her eyes are dilated. It's like she got hit with like a really powerful drug. And instead of leaving. We instead see a scene where she appears to go back downstairs. Appears to decide to potentially maybe we're given the 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 appearance that maybe she's gonna work with the creature now. Maybe she's gonna take over Red's duties. We don't know, but we now get it we now get the the uh, the feeling that maybe like Kenzie, who turned on her, maybe she now is gonna turn and bring in other immigrant women to live in that household and sacrifice to this creature so that she can now have this power. Um And it was just... It was a great ending. It wasn't a happy ending. It was an ending that left you thinking. Uh, and if you check it out and you got these weird vibes, I'm telling you, read more of the books by Adam Deville. It is all just like that. It does an amazing job of bringing in like mixing folklore and horror and just bringing in these creatures that just are just In your brain, his descriptions of what they look like and how they move and how they sound are absolutely just, it'll stick in your brain. It's just amazing. Uh, I keep saying amazing because I just, I love the author, uh, but knowing it's out alive, it's going to leave you saying what, what when it's over, you're going to want to talk about it to people you know, definitely make it a, a movie night with some people that you know to check it out. And it is, wow, That third act, everyone's going to be on the edge of their seats staring at the TV, shouting, making comments. Be ready for it. It isn't a slow start. It's a moderate start. But when it gets to that third act, it ramps it all the way up. Now, that is my time. Under 30 minutes. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had a good time. Uh, Marlon's Corner is going to be doing some other amazing October horror themed movies and then we got November coming up And maybe we'll do a Hallmark thing. I don't know. We'll do what we need to do and maybe if you have a suggestion at me on uh, Instagram at Marlon's Corner or on Facebook at Marlon's Corner and I'll hit you back. But without further ado folks, thank you so much for tuning in, for checking in, being a part of the experience uh, and we'll see you next time back here in the corner on Marlon's Corner. Bye. This episode of Marlin's Corner was produced in Richmond, California.